Taiwan announced 60 new local cases on Monday, the lowest since its level 3 alert was issued mid-May. But authorities in southern Taiwan are still on red alert as they grapple with a cluster infection of the Delta COVID variant. First detected in India, the Delta variant is poised to become the dominant strain in the world. The Central Epidemic Command Center says that Delta is 40 to 60 percent more transmissible than the Alpha strain first detected in the UK. The Delta variant has arrived at Pingdong, here at Fengshan Township. Locals who tested negative for COVID are waiting to receive a vaccine. About 1,700 people received a PCR test, and all the results were negative. So far, nearly 400 people have been vaccinated. There were no new cases found in Pingdong on Monday. Besides vaccinating residents of two Pingdong villages, the county government has opened testing centers to expand screening. There are now eight confirmed cases of the Delta variant in Pingdong County. The cluster traces back to a woman and her grandson who recently returned from Peru. Their contacts on the flight have tested negative, as has the driver of their quarantine vehicle. The driver of their quarantine vehicle and 37 contacts on the plane were all tested. So far, 35 results have come back, all of them COVID negative. The driver of the vehicle was negative too, of course. But the CECC's Zhang Sangchun warns that heightened vigilance is needed because of the Delta variant's enhanced transmissibility. The Delta virus strain is indeed more transmissible than the British strain. It's about 40 to 60 percent more transmissible. In a UK government report, it's noted that the probability of household transmission of the Alpha variant is 8.6 percent. For the Delta variant, it's quite a bit higher, at 12 percent. Zhang says that so far, a fever, a cough and other respiratory symptoms are still important clinical indicators of infection with the Delta variant, just like they are of other COVID strains. There's growing concern about the Delta variant in Taiwan, and to block its advance, the Central Epidemic Command Center has introduced a new policy, banning family and friends from picking up arrivals at the airport. Incoming travelers who need transport can now only take government-authorized vehicles, such as quarantine buses or taxis. Outside the airport's arrivals hall, returning travelers are seen dragging their luggage to the taxi queue. Besides taxis, no other vehicles are in sight. On Sunday, the CECC prohibited airport pickups by family and friends. Violators can be fined up to 150,000 NT. There are three options for travelers who need a ride. The first is to take a quarantine taxi to a quarantine hotel. The second is to take a quarantine leased car. This mode of transport mainly services the central and southern regions. The third is to take a quarantine bus. Airport pickups by family and friends are now prohibited. As another precaution against the Delta virus strain, the CECC has suspended quarantining at home, which means that most incoming travelers must pay for a stay at a quarantine hotel or a centralized quarantine facility. Travelers coming from seven high-risk countries won't need to pay, but they will be required to stay at a centralized quarantine facility. Actually, the policy is very reasonable. It would be a great deal of trouble if the virus got in. It's very good. It's best to isolate everyone. 
the airport should establish a rapid PCR detection mechanism. Now that Taiwan has finalized the policy for 14 days of high-intensity quarantine, the airport needs to follow up with the required arrangements. According to CCC rules, all arrivals from seven high-risk countries need to stay at a centralized quarantine facility. They must also be tested for COVID twice, once upon arrival and again just before the quarantine period ends. Arrivals from all other countries will receive a PCR test once, near the end of the quarantine period. On Monday, Taoyuan Mayor Zheng Wenchan said the Taoyuan airport should acquire capabilities for rapid PCR testing to carry out border control accurately and efficiently. Health Minister Chen Zizong says that a third batch of Moderna COVID vaccines is scheduled to arrive on Wednesday. The shipment will contain 410,000 doses, part of a 5.05 million dose order that Taiwan placed with Moderna in February. So far, 390,000 of the doses have been delivered. There's another 2.5 million Moderna doses currently undergoing inspection. These vaccines were donated by the U.S. government and are expected to complete testing in time for a July rollout. Premier Susan Tang was at the vaccine's Taoyuan testing site on Monday to inspect their cold chain storage facilities. Experts say more tests are needed to prove the efficacy of United Biomedical's vaccine candidate. On Sunday, the company released the preliminary findings of its phase two trial. The results showed the candidate inducing a relatively weak antibody response. Its antibody level was measured at 102.3, whereas Medigen Biologics vaccine candidate measured at 663. Weighing in on these early phase two findings, Tanggong University professor Shi Xingru says the vaccine could still be effective because it can also activate T cells that enhance COVID immunity. However, she says that phase three trials are needed to determine the degree to which T cells bolster protection. An analysis of the results show that its safety and tolerability are good. None of the subjects developed severe adverse reactions. On Sunday, Taiwan's second COVID vaccine developer released an interim analysis of its phase two clinical trials. The results showed that the candidate's safety and tolerability were good and that it offers nearly 90% protection against COVID. Several of the averages are in this position, so there's a difference of little more than one point with this other one. A one point difference means that our vaccine's protective effect would be around 80-90%. Vaccine UB612 induces neutralizing antibodies at the same level when used against the Delta variant. United Biomedical says its vaccines can counter the Delta variant, although the final analysis of phase two results won't be out until November. So far, adults aged 19 to 64 show a high seroconversion rate of 95.65%. For adults 65 and older, the seroconversion rate is still fair at 88.57%. In addition, the vaccine induces a neutralizing antibody level of 102.3. Its seroconversion rates are not far off from those of Medigen's vaccine candidate, although the antibody response it induces is lower than Medigen's 663. As for vaccine safety, both Taiwanese vaccines are believed to be safer than mRNA and adenovirus-based vaccines. Although United Biomedical's neutralizing antibody titer is a little lower, it's about as high as the level seen in
between people who've recovered from COVID. If it is on par with the level seen in recovered patients, that means the vaccine offers protection of more than 50% or 60%. Even if the antibody levels are on the lower end, it can still be an effective vaccine. Experts say that neutralizing antibody levels do not completely reflect the protective effect generated by a vaccine. United Biomedical says its Phase 2 trial data suggests its vaccine can protect against infection. The company plans to apply for emergency use authorization by the end of June, with the goal of rolling out shots in late July. The company plans to deliver 5 million doses to the government in late August and complete the unblinding of its Phase 2 clinical trial in November, before starting Phase 3 clinical trials in India. The firm says its goal is to produce 10 million vaccines per year. Their vaccine has peptides that can activate T-cells, which of course help with immunity. But this is not something that can be detected by measuring neutralizing antibody levels. You wouldn't be able to tell whether the T-cell process is truly effective until you obtain phase 3 trial results. The first Taiwan vaccine developer to apply for EUA was Medigen in June. Its goal is to obtain approval and launch its vaccine in July. But FDA official Wu Xiaomei said Monday that EUA review may not start until late July, as Medigen has to submit additional documents. This means Taiwan may have to wait longer than expected for a locally developed vaccine. The Miaoli County government has lifted its COVID lockdown on migrant workers at Junan Science Park. For three weeks, some 6,000 migrant workers were banned from leaving their dormitories, except when going out to work. The controversial policy was imposed during a COVID outbreak at four electronics factories. On Monday, the county commissioner declared the lockdown officially lifted as the outbreak was now under control. The Rotary Club donated a positive pressure testing booth to Miali's pandemic efforts on Monday. Appearing at the donation ceremony, the county commissioner said that migrant workers were now free to go on shopping trips after work and were no longer subject to restrictions. I also want to announce on this occasion that as of June 28th, all our migrant workers are officially released from lockdown. Last month in Miali's Junan Science Park, COVID broke out among migrant workers at four major electronics firms. During the worst of the spread, there were more than 50 confirmed cases in a day. On June 7th, the county government announced that migrant workers may not leave their dorms except during work hours. The ban affected some 6,000 migrant workers, and it prompted an outcry from labor advocates who said it was an act of discrimination. The county commissioner had pushed back at the accusation. Foreign migrant workers have turned Miaoli upside down. How do you all feel about that? Like I said earlier, if you are diagnosed, say that you are diagnosed and you die, then how can you talk about human rights? On Monday, the county commissioner said that Miali has had 567 confirmed cases so far. Migrant workers account for 470 of them, or about 82 percent. He said that out of necessity at the peak of viral spread, he issued an administrative order restricting the movement of migrant workers. But with the outbreak contained, the order is officially lifted, he said. He emphasized that workers will still need to abide by level 3 restrictions and public health guidelines. Just because the ban is lifted doesn't mean that migrant workers can have their way and wander about freely. The commissioner said migrant workers should abide by level 3 restrictions. He also urged employers and manpower brokers to strictly enforce pandemic measures for the migrant workforce. 
Taiwan has lifted its ban on importing medical pulse oximeters for personal use without a permit. It comes as there's been a spike in demand for the device, which measures blood oxygen saturation and can be used to detect a COVID symptom called silent or happy hypoxia, in which oxygen levels drop dangerously. From June 28th to the end of this year, you do not need to apply for a permit if you import a pulse oximeter or carry one across the border for your personal COVID protection. Each person is limited to one device. When it comes to products like pulse oximeters, they require verification and they may need to be maintained or adjusted. So we would still recommend that you purchase products that are already licensed for domestic sale. This offers more of a guarantee on safety and effectiveness. The FDA said the one-per-person rule only applies to medical pulse oximeters, not to fitness trackers, which are exempt from restrictions. Taiwan has come under international scrutiny many times in the past over its poor working conditions for migrant workers. Over the years, its fishing industry especially has come under fire for human rights violations. Taiwan's Human Rights Commission says it wants to take firm steps to tackle workplace abuse at sea. It held an online forum with New Zealand officials to explore more concrete measures to protect workers. In her opening speech, Human Rights Commission head Chen Zhu said she hoped lawmakers would soon pass a bill to implement the United Nations Convention Against Torture in Taiwan. She said torture could show itself in many forms, including degrading or inhumane treatment. Torture encompasses cruel, inhumane or degrading treatment and punishment. Of course, it also includes limitations on personal freedom and other improper treatment against residents at institutions, foreign fishermen and other groups. So we hope that the Legislative Yuan will be able to pass a draft bill to implement the UN Convention Against Torture as soon as possible. Its passing would give a legal framework for the National Human Rights Commission to develop specialized preventative mechanisms against torture. I'm Peter Bosch, the Chief Ombudsman for New Zealand. In a pre-recorded message, New Zealand's Chief Ombudsman Peter Bosher praised Taiwan for establishing its National Human Rights Commission. He added that launching a national prevention mechanism or an MPM against torture would be a big step in the right direction. I must congratulate you. The recent establishment of your National Human Rights Commission and the upcoming launch of the NPM are immense milestones. It is very pleasing to, to learn that you're about to embark on your examination of treatment and conditions of people detained in child care and youth justice facilities. New Zealand's MPM is organized using a multi-agency model. This multi-agency model is mainly coordinated by the National Human Rights Commission. The National Human Rights Commission of New Zealand appoints five human rights commissioners, among whom are commissioners for disability rights and for equal employment opportunities. Keynote speakers discuss concrete ways to improve the working conditions of migrant workers in Taiwan, with a special focus on those employed in the fishing industry. Experts said that Taiwan can model future human rights policies after New Zealand's MPM. For most news, Stephanie Yang, Lu Bo Tong in Taipei. 
A businessman from Nanto has donated 30 million NT of his own money to help neighbours struggling under COVID. His private bailout offers money to Nanto locals who find themselves ineligible for government bailout packages. It aims to help families thrown into financial hardship by the pandemic. <laughs> Phone calls are coming into the bureau chief's office first thing in the morning. On June 23rd, a private bailout opened for applications, and this is its benefactor. Lin Jijin looks through applications personally, urging employees to make payments swiftly. A businessman based at Nangang Industrial Park in Nanto, Lin is Taiwan's biggest manufacturer of conveyor belts. This wave of COVID has left few firms unscathed, but this has seen a small upturn in recent months. Lin wanted to spread that good fortune among the community. That's why he's giving 30 million NT to local people in need. The demographic we want to help is people who weren't able to get subsidies from the government. This project is about helping people get through a crisis, not subsidizing poverty. Currently, the project is providing subsidies for people in Nanto City and the Taotuan and Minjin townships near Lin's business. Applicants are assessed, and if they have received no help from the government, are eligible for 10,000 NT per person, or up to 60,000 NT per household. <laughs> Residents in Nanto will be keen to apply as soon as possible. Blind spots in bailout packages mean many self-employed people are unable to receive government support. This man's generosity will help them sleep easier through the next month. The mountains of Xinzhu are bursting into bloom at this time of year. And among all the riches of nature, the peach is one of the sweetest. But Xinzhu farmers are struggling to sell their bumper peach harvest. With consumers cautious since COVID worsened and tourists all at home, farmers are afraid their fruit will go to waste. A new online sales platform aims to redress that, giving peach lovers the chance to buy from home with just one click. A farmer gathers luscious honey peaches from the trees. Plump and juicy, they look like a great harvest. Mid-June through July is peach season in Jianshi Township, and this has always been a great peach-growing region. These mountains are 1,200 meters above sea level. Their clean water and rich soil, cold nights and mild dew make for excellent fruit. But farmers are concerned. They didn't grow for two years in a row. This year, they did grow, but there are no tourists coming to buy them. We don't know where to sell our honey peaches. Because of drought, the peaches didn't grow well the last two years. It was such an effort to get a big harvest this year. Everyone is expecting a good return. We didn't expect the pandemic to hit. Now, the farmers are all worried that tourists can't come in. In years past, peaches were mainly sold to visiting holidaymakers or national distributors. Due to COVID, store sales are down. The county government is urging stores to take peaches anyway, and it's moved the core marketing pitch online. An internet sales platform for Jianshi Peaches opens on June 28th and will be online until July 31st. The first 100 boxes get free delivery. I picked the peach in my hand just three or four days ago. See how sweet it still smells three days later. Even with my mask on, I can smell its aroma. Peach orchards cover 65 hectares of the township. 
This year, farmers estimate the bumper harvest will weigh in at 520 tons, with numerous varieties such as Okubu, Zhongjing White, the Shanghai Mi, and the Japan Golden on offer. Jianshi is the place for all your peachy cravings.